Welcome to the Brain Health Revolution podcast with your hosts, Aisha and Dean Shirzai. In this episode, we will be speaking about what we believe to be one of the most important aspects and the biggest contributors to brain health, our communities, and each individual's relationship within their community. Based on our experience and the data supporting this theory, brain diseases such as stroke, Alzheimer's, and other dementias are most consequentially affected at the level of the community. We will discuss the nuances and how community ownership and mobilization is the most important aspect of addressing and preventing devastating neurological diseases such as Alzheimer's, stroke, and other dementias. But before we jump into the episode, I wanted to thank those of you who joined me on the five-day Better Brain Nutrition Challenge. We had well over 9,000 of you join us in a fun and empowering environment where we went live every day and learned about evidence-based nutrition in the field of brain health and then cooked together. For those of you who enjoyed this format and if you found the information helpful, join us at Neuro Academy platform where we just released a comprehensive course on evidence-based nutrition and brain health along with a complete cooking course that will help you learn the basics of healthy eating and how you can apply all that knowledge by improving what's on your plate. I have attended a number of nutrition and cooking courses on the subject and I have a culinary degree as well and I can tell you that this one is the most comprehensive one yet because it doesn't just throw some recipes at you but gives you the latest science gives you a solid understanding of the basics of cooking, whether it's learning how to sharpen your chef knives, how to cook the best brown rice, how to build flavor in a dull recipe, to making the most divine key lime pie in the world without feeling guilty about it. And the most important thing is it's in a dynamic community where members discuss the topic, they bring in more information, they challenge each other and support one another. You will have access to a CECME certified course on brain health, a behavior course, and multiple interest groups such as exercise, cooking, gardening, book clubs, and others. All of this is provided for almost a dollar a day. Check it out on neuroacademy.com. Okay, let's jump into the episode now. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Dean. Hi, how are you? I'm glad to be here with you. So today we're going to talk about community and brain health. And I know you have a lot of experience in this. Have you start with your thoughts on this subject? As you know, this is, well, of course, you know, you've been in this journey with me for the last 18 years. What we have experienced uh, from our research to our work in hospitals, and then by accident, our work in communities our whole perspective changed, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, I remember in 2007, 2000, actually, let's go back when I was at NIH before the two of us met, it, I just focused on the molecular aspects. And by the way, we are all for the molecular research. Those are amazingly important. But where we are now is miles away from that. And, and, and it's because we saw the effect of what we'll be talking about today. It, it's the most important factor. I, I don't think we could speak about this enough because for two reasons, it's, it's, it's importance, it's, it's consequence, but at the same time, the lack of information out there. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. 
and also about how each person can, can empower themselves to bring this tool into their life. But before that, I want to start with them, some context for the audience of what we saw in 2007, was it, wasn't it, at UCSD, where we first did research uh, with Elizabeth Barrett Connor. She was an amazing researcher. At the time, we were just looking at brain studies and imaging, and you were doing fMRI studies, and which were pretty cool. They're still amazingly uh, interesting. But at that conversation with um, with uh, Dr. Connor, we we actually had the first touch point, the first time we ever noticed the importance of community. She was working in a community in San Diego. I think it was the Rancho Bernardo community. Right. She was um, she was an icon. She founded and led that forty seven year long study, the Rancho Bernardo study of healthy aging in San Diego. It was just remarkable, and and that data provided us the, the the foundations of so much of what we know now. Yeah. And then we saw other communities, and 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 we saw the communities that were studied in 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 um, um in New York, the communities that were studied in in Boston, specifically the Harvard studies. You're talking about the Northern Manhattan study, correct? And then also even Irvine. Remember the oldest old study where they looked at people above age ninety. Laguna Hill study, correct? And that prompted us to say, let's look at populations. Let's see what would work. So with that, we actually came to Loma Linda. And initially, again, it was the same molecular studies. Remember, you and I were looking at secondary databases and looking at the relationship between this drug and, and disease and this medication and disease and this particular symptom and disease. But as a consequence of a side phenomena, we were asked to go to a community to talk to them about their health. <laughs> And what we heard back was just remarkable. Most of the community, that this was the Native American community, um, were so disheartened by the academic institutions because the academic institutions would come in there, you know, bring in the questionnaires, collect data, and then would disappear. They actually didn't want to even work with us. So that got us to more interested, and we looked into the communities, we connected with them, and what we saw, I think, is the most important fact that's missing in, in the storyline and in, in the narrative of health. What we saw in Loma Linda, which is the Seventh-day Adventist population, and that's the community component of that, which we will speak about. And then right there, I couldn't even say next door, it's within the name, same environment, we have the San Bernardino community, which is one of the unhealthiest communities in America. You have the healthiest community and the unhealthiest community. Right next to each other. Yeah, and what's the common term in both of them? Community. And, and it, it's... Yes, it's nutrition. Yes, it's exercise and all of those stuff. But the, the disparity, the difference was just overwhelming. I'm still taken aback by the fact that with all these little wars on social media and all these arguments over meaningless things, nobody's talking about the fact that in Loma Linda, people live 12 years longer and healthier than everybody else, roughly. I mean, if you, if you divide by gender, it's different. But And right there in San Bernardino, People have strokes in their 40s and 50s, and you and I would look at imaging, and almost everybody that came to us in that population had white matter disease or microstrokes or lacunes, which are these little holes or small strokes that they're physically not manifest, but you know that it's affecting their brains. Cognitive decline was ubiquitous. Nobody studies cognitive decline until it becomes mild cognitive impairment or dementia. but At a, at actually, a very early age. It starts early. The patients who are in their 40s would actually have... 
cognitive decline and, and symptoms of early neurodegenerative changes. And this is, I remember you saying that, why isn't anybody talking about cognitive decline? We have some semblance of that, oh, attention deficit or, or focus problems later in life or losing things here and there. No, cognitive decline starts much earlier and, and it's because dementia doesn't start at a point. Right. Cognitive decline starts in your 20s because of lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. And I think that's one of the things that people need to understand that for diseases of the brain or some neurodegeneration, the manifestation of symptoms, you know, it just didn't happen overnight. The neuropathological changes take at least 20 to 30 years for them to continuously erode the brain infrastructure and then manifest into symptoms, which it, is kind of scary. It is. It is. And, and yet... We still talk about the the blueberry, the the coconut oil, the it's yeah, they are they're the individual things, but the most important thing is community. I guess there is a disconnect between mechanistic studies that everybody's so interested in, and they're important. Of course, the mechanistic studies and the basic sciences allows us to have a better understanding of the workings of the brain, and what are some of the things in our environment that affects our brain, but it doesn't necessarily help us translate that information or empower communities in a way where they can implement um, the, the necessary changes in their lives. It's complex. I mean, if you're going to tell people to eat berries, it's one thing. Right. They just, although those are, that's expensive for, for many communities, but it's one thing. Uh, or if you tell them to take omega-3, it's one thing, or some vitamin, it's one thing. But to affect community, that's complex. Okay, first of all, how do you, what do you mean by that? And we'll get into the details of that because this has been our work for the last 15 years. Right. And we've, I think, per, not perfected it. That's, that, that would be hyperbole, but we've learned quite a bit, probably more than any other scientists out there. We've been uh, at, and, you know, at, the, at the community level working and figuring out what would work. How could you get the community to become healthier and and it's complex. Right. And and to be honest with you, I mean it's you know it's just not one element either. You know, everybody's trying to focus on nutrition and you and I talk about nutrition and we look at evidence-based neurology, but even in 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 communities where people eat healthy, they could definitely be, you know, uh, they they could be a target for these devastating diseases if they don't take care of all the other factors or not necessarily take care of it. My 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 focus is it's a very complex disease. It's not just nutrition. It could be your uh, mental health issues, psychological circumstances. It could be lack of exercise, or it could be the stressors that we're exposed to since childhood, growing up with it. So all of these affect us, and it's the uh, the intermix of these risk factors that determines whether somebody lives a healthy long life or they start having difficulties earlier on as well. But in a way, you're absolutely right. But in a way, that complexity of the community is also the answer. I mean, if you approach all the health measures that we talk about, nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep, um, optimizing mental activity, optimizing social activity, cigarette smoking or abatement thereof, um, alcohol and alcohol abuse and alcohol problem, um, toxins. Um, uh, we talk about the, uh, medical problems such as blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes. If you approach each of these individually, it's almost impossible. But we say that the answer is actually in the community because if you approach all of these from a community perspective, mm -hmm. it is much easier. Still hard, 
but it's much easier because then you use the wisdom of the community, the resources of the community, the knowledge of the community, and the interconnected connectedness. I'm just going to create that word anyway. Connectedness of the community to get all of these, address all these issues in one lump sum and in one connective tissue. Without that connective tissue, which is the community, it's almost impossible to make these changes. I mean, look at the, just the diet wars. Just the diet wars are so complex and so convoluted and, and have confused people so much that we are not only not winning the diet, the nutrition uh, you know, war, we're losing the nutrition war. We're getting more obese. We're getting more unhealthy. We're having more cholesterol. We're having higher cholesterol levels, higher diabetes, higher uh, high blood pressure. So why is it that in a world where we know more, we're doing worse? Why is it that we're moving less? Why is it that you know we we are more stressed? I'm I'm actually studying learning about um, the stress pathways and anxiety and dopamine and serotonin. Well, guess what? Most of the solution is at the community level, and 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 it's and 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 then let's talk about things like social activity. Right. So before we actually jump into the <clears throat> specifics, I want you to describe what that essentially means to the audience. What do you mean? that these things have to be applied at the community. I mean, I, I do understand what you mean, but I want you to kind of parse it out. What does that look like? So here we have guidelines that are telling us to eat a certain way, mm -hmm. right? And we have tons of information on how to pick and choose specific lifestyle measures that fit our, our resources or, or, or something that we have access to. And when you engage in those kind of habits you tend to have lower risk of disease outcomes, whether it's brain diseases, cardiovascular, et cetera, et cetera. So when you apply that information in a community, what does that look like? And how does that separate from what people listen or hear in a doctor's clinic, for yeah, example? Yeah, yeah. So let's take nutrition for that matter. Um, is there a lot of information? Yes, but there's also a lot of confusing information. So a community is not a community of 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 um, a knowledge that everybody ag agrees on. I mean, you have the keto diet and paleo diet and and South Beach diet and uh, and uh, you know Mediterranean diet and and vegan diet and the diet names are just ubiquitous. But so which one will the community follow? Well, actually, none of them because uh, the community what what it does is it hears all these different things and then they rest and go back to the basic lowest denominator, which is the fast food next door. By the way, the zip code matters. Certain communities have much unhealthier environment. There are no, they call them food deserts. And, and there's a reason because you can't find any place where you can find fresh produce. Yet other places, there are fast foods every other in a stop. So th that information has to be something that the community believes in. So even the source of information, the community can come together and decide, this is where we're going to believe the source of information. If it's coming from you know, social media and TikTok, well, that's one level. If it's coming from a doctor that says something unusual, that's another level because they said, don't listen to any other, uh, other doctor, just listen to me. That's a red, red, you know, red flag. Or is it coming from a consensus where American Health Heart Association, you know, American uh, um, um, uh, Geriatric Association, uh, Aging Associations, and all these come together and say, no, the diet that, that shows the greatest benefit for health, be it cancer, diabetes, and so on and so forth, is this. 
And the community has agreed that they're going to, as a totality, they're going to agree on this kind of data and not just any data that comes to them. We have another problem before that. How does a community become a community that takes charge of its own health? That's the first step. The community actually says a large number of the community members or leaders, and leaders are not, it's not a title, it's people who actually say, I want to take the lead. I want to take the, you know, uh, proper lead. They come together and say, we agree that the data is going to be coming from this. You remember when public health, it's, um, uh, uh, it's all about resources. It's all about um, uh, access to information, access to resources, access to healthcare. So access to proper information is the first step the community leaders take. And, and once they do that, the next step is, okay, so now we know what's good, healthy food. And it's fairly easy. You and I know this, and we've done this in communities. It's greens. Well, yeah, I mean, I, like, like you said earlier, I think there's, within all this noise, there's enough information and there are enough guidelines to follow. Um, but unfortunately, there's a barrier. So there's individuals who have completely lost trust in the medical healthcare system and anything that comes from a bigger organization that has, say, for example, the label of American Heart Association or American Diabetes Association, when they see those, those, those names, there's almost this immediate reaction of saying, oh, big pharma, they're trying to benefit from us. They're trying to feed us something that is not good for us because they are going to you know, benefit or, or engage in activities that would make them you know, or or at least they'll make a lot of money and they will benefit from the community's remaining six. So, there, so there's this lack of trust yeah. Yeah. and uh, lack of communication between community leaders and the members of that community to discuss how important it is. And and the problem that's a beautifully and that's exactly right. That the, the if you can't break through that trust barrier, there's no next step. If the community doesn't come together and say, this is where we're going to get our resources and source of information, it's, it's done. I mean, we're, we're then they're falling back to their baseline because when you have too many choices, the paradox of choice, this is good, this is good, this is good. Well, guess what? We're not sure. We don't trust anything. So we're going to go back to our uh, basic um, uh, understandings. And the problem is physicians and healthcare providers. We never go out there. We never put ourselves, scientists, don't really invest. The only time I've seen scientists go into the community is when they're collecting data, which is very, very cold process, or they're giving a talk, but not as part of the community, not invested in the community. That's a, that's a critical thing to build trust. Physicians and, and scientists have to become a very important part of community conversation. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, I see very small examples of that happening, um, not in the field of neurology. I don't even ever see any neurologists going out into the community to talk about this, but American Heart Association is beginning to do that. And I'm not sure about some of the other subfields, but you're right, I, I rarely see that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame the physicians. I mean, the whole system is just built in such a bad way. I mean, you and I decided to kind of cut down on clinical work to focus on research and community work. Which we had to quite a cut bit of, down yeah. significantly. And that was that was a hard big blow. hit on our big hit on our funding really and, and finances. The kids had to eat two meals instead of three. That's I'm joking Glad about that. We but, eat beans and rice. Yeah, and bean, exactly. Cheaper. cheaper. So but but it was a big hit. I mean I worked three days, you worked three days. The other two days we would be in the community working for free. 
Right. I'm making connections, uh, having conversations without any financial remuneration, but that didn't matter to us because how many we, how many sessions did we, you and I would have? Remember, we would sit and we would go to Rancho Cucamonga or to the San Bernardino office, and we would set up our own tables and. You would have your PowerPoint presentations, and then we would carry the microphone in the uh, audience to take questions from forget everyone. Forget about audience. I've had one talk where there was one person sitting in front of me, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give the best talk, and I'll have the best conversation with this person. And it was a great conversation. I know. I sat in the front to make sure that I only take your picture, not of the audience chairs. But yeah, yeah we, we, we started from there. And I know that there are other people doing that as well, but it's just... There needs to be more of that. There needs to be much more. And because it starts there. You have to build trust. Your point is so well stated that if the, the trust building is the first step, <clears throat> especially in a world where science has been abused, uh, where people um, uh, have been used by scientists for data collection or worse. You know, we have many examples. So I think physicians, uh, uh, community workers, I think it's even more bigger than associations. I think... If American Heart Association goes to a community, it's not warm, it's not connected. The individual physicians and care care providers should go into the community, even if it's even if it's one hour a month. That's true. That I think that should be part of the mandate of any hospital or any hospital system, where the doctor goes to the community not to just get leads for the clinic, meaning talk to people so that they can come to the clinic to see patients but to just invest into the community. Which is usually, that isn't it? They it go is. with brochures. They about literally say that. Yeah, they go, go give they a talk so you can get patients. Pens yes, exactly. Or some sandwiches and chips, and then they just it's, get more it's, patients. It's terrible. And usually Ugh. the food that they give is it's unhealthy. Horrible. It is. It's it is. Horrible. It's terrible. So you're right. The first step is trust building. But what does this mean? So the next step is, as far as we were talking about nutrition in a community, well, community bring, you know, comes together and creates uh, uh, markets, uh, uh, fresh fruit and vegetable markets. Uh, they can come together and create gardens. We are working in a community now where one of the leading people in the, in, uh, was the a person that was, uh, had a community garden. And community garden is not about even creating, creating produce. It's the mindset right. that connects the individuals, the children, the family members to the, to the source of food. I mean, we get these food, fast food restaurants where the patties are actually pink byproducts that are put together into a patty. We don't even know what's in it. Well, when you get it from the garden, when you see it, even if you're not consuming most of your food from there, you become connected to it. So that's another place that the community can, can uh, be involved. In, in beach cities where we first started here, uh, the walking uh, uh, teams, school buses, the... And the space was built around biking and, and walking. And that's what we do. The two of us, every morning next to the beach, we, we, we have a morning walk. So the environment should be conducive for walks. Groups who are aware, communities that are aware of importance of exercise, then actually create teams and groups that exercise together by age, by capacity, by, by location. That's bigger than any group of pills. And, and we're Four pills. We're not against medication. We're not against you know pharmacy and uh, at its at its best exactly. when when used properly. But but exercise is way more effective, and there's no question of that. Um, so at the same time, stress management, um, and then social activity. Right, right. I think that's a very critical part of um, uh, you know the the environment, especially when it comes to brain health and 
you know, you and I see these papers where, say, for example, there's an intervention and the intervention is something very flimsy. And then the results are excellent. But then when you see it's actually not that flimsy intervention. It was probably because somebody actually saw the individual every single day, yes. said hello to them, probably gave them a hug, smiled at them, had a conversation. And it's that social interaction, even if somebody's introverted, you know, somebody checking in on another individual is so important. And that actually creates more, I don't know, brain cell connections and neuroplasticity. So it's, 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 it's probably one of the most important elements. I agree that you with you. I yeah. agree with you. I, that, that's such a good point. Remember that study that, so as throughout these years, we're in different groups, research groups that bring together multiple universities. And one of the interventions was in nutrition and brain health. And we would go to this meeting every, every, uh, every week, it once was, a week. Yeah, it was an online meeting. Yeah, online meeting. We were in the working group. Exactly. And, and then at, like halfway through, Somebody had the, the nerve to ask, what's the intervention, which is, we should have all known this, but, the, but this one was unusual. It was a bar. Yeah. It was mailed to them, by the way, not even like given to them, you know, by a person. Yeah. It was like a, it was a protein bar. Or it something. was a protein bar. They were like mailed in a box to them. And that was the lifestyle intervention. We're like, are you serious? Pitiful. Pitiful. It was so yeah. bad. Uh, but, but the part that was useful was they would get calls. It wouldn't have been pitiful if they said... What is the association of consumption of a protein bar yes. that has X, Y, and Z on brain health? They labeled it lifestyle. Yeah, that was pitiful. That, that, it was, but but the, what was what was more, probably most effective about this whole study was the fact that they would call get calls right. from the 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 nurse at least once a week. The people that that were being in it. So, and that was the the bigger intervention than the bar. Let's talk about some of the challenges because not all communities are ready, not all communities are uh, resourceful, uh, not all of them have access to all of these incredible privileges that help us live a long, happy life. So, of course, you know, one of the limitations is having access to those resources. And I think you and I have seen that in multiple communities. We've, you know, you, you and I have traveled outside of the United States as well, and it's quite evident in other countries when. There's no resource. You really can't talk about eating blueberries when there where there's actually like lack of food around you. Correct, correct. So, you know, adjusting to a community's needs is important. But other than that, let's talk about the mentality or the readiness factor. What are some of the main limitations that you have come across? The main limitation, I get, again, I tell you, it's the first limitation. It's access to information. I mean, we're fighting the battle of uh, accurate information because... Once people have a source that they trust and a place where they can get the information readily and, and meaningfully and, and in a way that can be trans, uh, translated, meaning that people can take the science and implement it in their lives, that's the biggest first step. That's the, in, in chemistry, we call it the limiting reagent. That's the limiting re reagent. And, and that's actually something that can easily be solved. And it's those, those trusting, warm conversation between a uh, trusted source, be it a physician or a healthcare provider, and the community, um, um, and or the hospital system that sends people not just to collect uh, clinic visits, but to truly give back to the community. That's where it starts. Uh, and I think that's, that's something that is not being done. By the way, I think dollar for dollar, that's the best investment in healthcare that, uh, at any level. 
especially when it's when it's between the community leaders, which are the women, because who implements the nutrition at this point? Hopefully, men do as well. But at this point, still in a lot of the communities, still women uh, applying the nutritional changes. It's, it's a, we, we we have a world that still women do a lot of that, but it should be men and women. But but uh, so and and who cares takes care of the children? That's undoubt. That's a unquestionable. The moms do much better job than dads. There are, there are a lot of great yeah. men who do that as well, but, but, but it's majority are moms it's, it's and women. It's critical yes. to kind of apply that stuff where it's it connects most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a rapid change in a community is very difficult. These are culture changes. Culture takes time. Culture is when ideas uh, and thoughts become ubiquitous in a society over time, where they, it's not contrived. It's not uh, you know little placards on a wall. It becomes part of the fabric of people's understanding, and that becomes a thing when when you see it everywhere. When the walkways are a reminder of the fact that oh we are a walking society it becomes part of the identity of the community, and and the uh, you know fresh fruit markets is a reminder that oh we value our our food that goes into our body, uh, the fact that there are signs everywhere in the community that says you know um, uh, uh, some statement about stress or some statement about connect to a loved one or a friend or community that becomes part of culture and. Um, although that takes time, I mean, the Seventh-day Adventists are the healthiest people in the world. That's a religion that's been here for over 100 years. Or um, let's take uh, Nicosia or these blue zones and uh, other places that are healthy. It's a culture that's developed over time. So that's one way to look at it. But the other way is to say, well, we are beings that can move with, with narrative, with story. And once people accept a story about themselves, they can bring about change quite a bit. We, we saw this in beach cities where we are, where these three cities decided that they're going to be healthier. The, the restaurants actually come, can, uh, joined the, the, the endeavor. Um, the walkways were created. The bike zones were created. Every um, you know, a store has, knows that it's part of this change model. Same thing that what we're doing here in the African-American churches in LA, where the community is joining and, and, and having, we did one fair last week, which was just remarkable. Oh, nearly 900 people came. We gave away blood pressure machines. The nurses were from the community. The, the nutrition people were from the community. I made tacos. Yeah, yes. And, and <laughs> by the way, tacos. the food was not some contrived Mediterranean food, but the food of the community made healthier. Right. Um, the, the exercise people were from the community. The talks, the conversations, the, the preachers. Uh, it was just remarkable when all of this happened. You felt the sense of energy in the community. We got over 90 volunteers saying that they want to join the movement in this community. So, so this was the Healthy Minds Initiative for the audience who are wondering. Yes, we, our non-for-profit is healthymindsinitiative.org. We're hoping to go to communities and, and make this happen at the community level. And it happens when the community members see that people are invested and we were invested and other volunteers were invested. The church, Christ Church, was an amazing partner and they led this whole thing, uh, just remarkable. And our job is to transfer, not own, not to talk down, but talk with um, and, and to understand. 
you know, I, my definition of love is understanding and true, deep understanding. And, 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 if, and that's where it starts. It starts at, at, at the level of love and understanding and listening. Leadership is about listening. And, and it was just absolutely beautiful. And by the way, we were going to have an annual event. Now the demand is so, so high that we're going to have it much more regularly. In fact, we brought two um, um, food trucks from the community to create healthy foods. And now they're going to be involved in this. So look at that. That's a culture change. So the food trucks are going to understand that, oh, if we make a healthy, let's say, taco, there's demand for it because people here in this region know about health. And if we make a healthy taco, they'll buy it. You just created an economy, a resource a, around this, this, this endeavor. So I'm, I'm extremely excited that it doesn't have to be a long-term cultural shift, but you can do a quick shift in cultural and understanding and, and involvement when you have the whole community become aware, energized, empowered, and take ownership. I love your optimism. I live, I live on it. And uh, what are your thoughts about, um, I guess I'm bringing a little bit of pessim my pessimism in here as You're well. You're not pessimist um, by, by no stretch. Uh, there are times when I get dismayed uh, when there is a deluge of misinformation on social mm. media and in our communities. And you kind of see it taking a life of its own where it seems to travel faster than, say, for example, evidence-based nutrition or evidence-based guidelines. How should people, just regular people who are trying their best to live a healthy life, maneuver through this? Because you and I have seen some of our cousins, uncles, and aunts, they're all inundated by, say, for example, um, you know, information that, let me just kind of say the most ridiculous thing that plants have poisons in them and you can't eat all plants, right? Or for example, beans have lectins in them and they're bad for you. How should a regular person listening to this conversation, really caring about their health and about their family and their community's health, um, maneuver through this, this, this chaos that sometimes yeah. we're faced with? Uh, so I want to make sure that I don't sound Pollyannish and overly optimistic. I mean, the journey is often painful uh, throughout human history. I mean, there's been so much suffering and what we're seeing in Turkey with the earthquakes is just in Syria. absolutely devastating. Really and we, we, we actually wanted, uh, are going to volunteer to well, see if I we put, can go. I'll put our name on the list for the, the Doctors Without Borders, so and we'll to, see if they contact if us. We can be of help. And so there's a lot of suffering. But at the same time, we also have this amazing amazing machine, which is the, the frontal lobe, prefrontal cortex, our capacity to reason. And reason is sticky. Reason is not ubiquitous. Use, reason is not um, ever-present. Reason is not perfect even. True. But reason is sticky. I mean, we've seen the effect of this reason break, move through mountains of misinformation, lack of information, superstition, wars, battles, yet we are here now. Despite all of that resistance of humanity, we are still here because even though reason-based action has been, let's say I'm going to use arbitrary, 1% of the dialogue of humanity at any one point, but that 1%, again, arbitrary number, but it's really that small, that 1%, whether it was Hume or whether it was, you know, Locke or whether it was some amazing philosophers like Plato and others, and even they weren't perfect, but they set some nuggets of meaningful, you know, thought 
and information that was so sticky that that was the seismic shift that changed humanity. And it, it, it took a while. Sometimes before printing press, it would take you know, hundreds of years before it got into enough of a, a population where it brought shift. You know, women's rights um, and the movement against slavery and health cigarette companies are, were so incredibly powerful that they would pay doctors. Yet now we, we have them at a, in, a, a, in a corner. We're doing much better. And, and, and now, ironically, and you've heard me say this, with this TikTok and Instagram and all this social media uh, coming at us, I'm even more optimistic. Because even though 99.9% .9 of the information out there might be junk, that 0.1%, which is actually more with, with all this noise out there in social media that everybody's hearing, Remember, this is way different than 100 years ago where people wouldn't hear a novel thing from month to month, if not year to year. Now we're seeing everything all the time. But that 0.1%, which is a, a pretty big given our denominator, is going to stick, mm -hmm. is going to change the dialogue. The, 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 the people that say, you know, eat liver so you can save your liver, they'll get their one million followers because it's kind of interesting and they do some weird things and somebody who says only eat meat because plants are poison and they'll get their million followers. And But reality is everybody at the end of the day wants the truth, even though they want the confirmation bias, but even more important than confirmation bias is the truth. And if you doubt that, look where we are. Where we are is an evidence of how science and for proper information has pushed its away to where we now communicated much more, you know, clear, more logical, more evidence-based level. Believe it or not, we are. So, so I'm very optimistic. And so the answer is, don't worry about what, what's out there as far as misinformation. Let us be, and I don't mean just the you, you and I, but everybody who knows the scientific method, who knows about how to look at data and, and distill it into its meaningful elements, how to separate good data from bad data because this, that this is not well-powered and this one is not reproduced and this is actually funded by some pharmaceutical company or some you know, uh, uh, food company and so on and so forth. This kind of knowledge is actually becoming more ever-present and we're becoming closer and closer to being able to distill proper information. I don't want to belabor that point, but it's such a... I think it's such a positive feeling uh, I'm getting at least that uh, we're, we're breaking through the, the darkness, the, the, the misinformation. I feel that too. I, I definitely do. So when it comes to making a meaningful change in the community and you know, as a result of that, make a meaningful change when it comes to prevention of devastating disease, it sounds like we don't really need you know, something extraordinary for a small change to happen. You just said a simple thing is for doctors to see if they can go out in the community maybe once a month and have a conversation with leaders. And the leaders don't have to be politicians or, or anyone like that. It can be someone as, you know, as, as, uh, as, as a normal person like your neighbor or someone working in a shop library owners. or someone in, I'm sorry? Shop owners. Shop owners. Barbershop. You yeah. remember so many studies of about barbershops. Yeah. yeah. So it can be just it can be just simple conversation and at the end of the day all that matters is that human interaction. The it does. meaningful change occurs 
in the conversations between people. I mean, even even people adhering to drugs and medication, we know that when the doctor interacts just five minutes longer, the patient's much much more adherent to compliant to to taking the medication, taking care of themselves. Most of the time, they're you know cattled out of the room, and that's so disheartening and so painful that they leave. They don't they don't say that to anybody else because of this this almost like a shame, but they're they leave disheartened and they actually are not as compliant with medication or their own care. So the first step is listening, talking, and understanding. And, and, uh, and, and that's all it is. We, don't, we shouldn't have any bigger expectations. Let's just get together. And by the way, there are studies that show that the, the critical mass of change when it comes as far as to ideas is as little as 15% of a group. I mean, let's, it depends on the idea, it depends on the group and all that, but but this should point to the fact that the critical mass of change is not 100% of the population or even 90 or 80%. It's much smaller because once a, a core group of motivated people are on board, interested, energized, informed, they'll change the entire community and, and, and larger uh, groups as well. Amazing. I love that very much. Okay, so for for that one person listening right now and wanting to participate in something like that, what would you suggest? What would be the next step for them to be involved in a community change for better health, whether it's for brain health or cardiovascular health or whatever it may be? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, this would be very weird to do self-serving and say either come to Neuro Academy or to a Healthy Minds Initiative. So we'll let you guys see what we do on the non-for-profit and on the on, yeah. on our, In their our own realm, side. in their own environment. In your own realm, what you can do is get a, quorum of people, a group of people that in the community, five, 10 of them get together, have a conversation about health, bring a, a doctor or a healthcare provider that, that, that's interested. Even if you can't find them, the, the most important element of healthcare, the nurses, they're out there. There's <laughs> the, the fair we had, we had, I mean, 15 nurses, they ran the fair. They sure did. Get the they're nurses amazing. from the community. They will be glad to lead this process with you have conversation about how do we get the resources? How do we get information? What are other community uh, uh, elements that we can bring on board, such as faith-based com- uh, leaders, um, business leaders, um, and, you know, nursing home um, and uh, social workers, schools? I mean, we want to start yes. that early. Remember the nurse we talked to at the fair who started a garden at the school? In, Look at uh, that. Crenshaw by herself. She, she just said, decided. She said nobody really understood what food was, and there were a lot of families who uh, were disadvantaged, and they didn't have you know resources to good food, and so she started an herb garden, and she taught children how to sow seeds, and this is where your food comes from. These are vegetables. These are fruits. She actually created small little charts and taught them the names of fruits and vegetables. Something as simple as that. They would start coloring and learning the names, and then they would start growing it in their little like garden patch right yeah. outside the patio yeah. in, in a school. And that started a movement where they actually took them to different factories and see how bread was made and how food was packaged. And they had such a rich understanding of how what we eat impacts our health, mental health, physical health, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It was a, an amazing example of just a few people trying to make a difference in their community. I mean, just the garden is meditation, stress management, social gathering, social interaction, of course, food and nutrition, exercise. I mean, everything you can think, oh, sun, which will affect your vitamin D levels and sleep. 
get his garden going in the community. I mean, that, that this is this is wonderful. And by the way, if it's if you can't have a group get together, uh, you know, in reality, online. I mean, that's what we're doing. Most of our communities, whether it's Neuroacademy or others, it's online. We we gather together, and the purpose of it is because what we do is centered around community. Right. Absolutely. So that's 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 critical. Um, the other thing we see is the walking groups. You know, uh, groups getting together to have a walk every morning. And I've seen some of them actually talk about a subject matter. Obviously, you can't walk fast and do talk, but but I guess they do both of those. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this was lovely, Dean. Thank you for your thoughts and your contribution. And I'm really excited Thank that we you. talked about that. It was a kind of a mercurial topic, you know, because it's something that is such an important thing and it needs to be highlighted more and more. And especially for people who are involved in healthcare, they really need to look at the importance of connecting with the community and sharing information and empowering everyone in the community to take care of themselves. And and for our audience, which we're so glad that we have thousands of people downloading these podcasts now, you, any, any one of you guys, please start something in your community, get a garden going, get three or four of you together to talk about one topic we're going to get a walking group going or a, a food group or or uh, in a meditation group don't get disheartened if it fall, falls uh, fails initially try and try again that's actually part of cognitive activity so part of why we did this conversation had this conversation was to get our audience and other audiences to initiate some movements those movements will probably do more for healthcare than multiple healthcare systems at this point. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.